I tell you, I was so encouraged by uh, even even as the choir was singing about about praying for God to heal our land. Is that not a theme that that resonates with us right now? Just a need for for that. And in fact, this morning we're going to be thinking about a prayer that Paul prayed for the church. The church in Colossae that he recorded in chapter 1. And so I would like to invite your attention back. You may remember a few weeks ago we began the book of Colossians. A letter that Paul wrote in the, to, the, uh, to the church. A young church that was established in the city of Colossae. A city in what is now modern day Turkey. Uh, not far from the, the, the city that we hear of in Revelation, Laodicea. Uh, in the Lycus Valley. And uh, and so Paul had been ministering in Ephesus and uh, about 80 miles away from from uh, Colossae. And there was uh, a couple of men, one by the name of Epaphras, who met him in Ephesus, heard the gospel and knew that his city needed the gospel. So what did he do? He went back and he proclaimed and a church was birthed and formed. And Paul had never been there. But he heard about what was taking place and he was driven. In fact, he was led by the Holy Spirit to write them a letter, an inspired letter that would encourage them in a, in a, in a time that, uh, that could have been precarious for them. Do you remember a few weeks ago we talked about the Gnostics, this group of people who, who thought they had an elite knowledge? And in fact, what they had was a, 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 a real, uh, uh, they had syncretism. In fact, they were pulling from different beliefs, from, from mysticism and asceticism, even to astrology, and then trying to connect that some way into teaching from Scripture. It was a real, real uh, convoluted belief system. But Paul was worried that the Gnostics were going to influence and impact this young church in, uh, in the city of Colossae. And so he wrote a letter. In fact, we're going to be looking in a couple of weeks at verses 15 through 20 of chapter 1, which is oftentimes referred to as the hymn to Christ. It may have been something that had been sung about the preeminence, the supremacy of Jesus Christ. He did not want that church to get a wrong understanding of who Christ was. And so, so he writes with a sense of urgency. And as he writes, he even prays as he begins the letter. And he prays very specifically for them. And so if you're wondering, how can I how can we together pray for our church, particularly right now as, as we have a new uh, congregation, a new community of, of believers being gathered together? How can we pray? Well, this passage of Scripture, I believe, gives us some insight in just how we can do that. Two weeks ago, we were looking at the identity of who we are in Christ. And uh, that identity, of, co- of course, being birthed out of the gospel. What he has done, what he has accomplished, how that has transformed us, being saved uh, by his grace, being set apart for a new life to live. That, that, that was the identity. And we looked at verse 6 that said, The gospel is bearing fruit and growing. It was happening in the city of Colossae. And Lord willing, wouldn't we love to see the gospel bear fruit and grow among us? I'd love to see that transform an entire city because there is a church or Lord willing churches, like minded churches in a region that are bearing fruit, that are growing, that are impacting and influencing a community as uh, as Christ has called us to. And so as we wonder this morning, how can I pray for my church? 
we pick back up where we left off in verse 9. And uh, we're going to see specifically. And I know that there are many things that, that come to mind. If I ask you, how do you pray for your church? Maybe you get the prayer and praise uh, newsletter that comes out on Wednesdays. If you don't, I, I would encourage you to sign up for that so that it can hit your inbox every Wednesday and you can see how to pray. I encourage you on Wednesdays at 4.30, we have a time, a, 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 a season of prayer together where we spend uh, many times up to 45 minutes in prayer for the needs of the congregation. We pray for the lost. We pray for the, the community. We pray for leaders. We pray for those who are who are who are who are sick and and, uh, you know, people that are that are that are that are dealing with with disease. They need they need prayer. They need encouragement. They need they need to know that the that the that their church family is remembering them. Some people are going through difficult circumstances. Maybe it's 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 broken relationships or maybe it's a job loss or it's a it's a financial strain. Who knows what the the different things are that people are going through. But as we have opportunity, we can pray specifically for those needs. And yet there's even another one that Paul mentions here in verse nine. And uh, it's a it's a it's a call to pray in such a way for our church that we could even apply it to how we pray for a child or a grandchild or a spouse or a friend. Listen to what he says in the very first part of the prayer, verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So this is how he is praying. Now, think about that in the context of the Gnostics giving a frontal attack to these young believers that are that they could that could potentially be drawn away into other thinking, into other beliefs. And he's saying, we are praying for your knowledge. We are praying that God would give you wisdom, even an understanding of his will. And so as I look at verse 9, I think, is that not a prayer for us as a church family today? To know what is God's will for us? How is He leading us? What is He expecting and planning for us? That we wouldn't want to just jump out and, and do things with, uh, on our own, but that we would want to follow as He leads. And clearly we, we believe that He has been leading, but we want to be mindful and, uh, and, and, and recognize the dependence that we have upon him as a church family. I hope that you'll be praying for us next, uh, next Sunday. Uh, I'll be sharing a message on vision for 2017. Looking at some big picture items. Looking at some things that I believe God is wanting to do in us and through us in the coming years. But specifically, we'll be looking at some 90-day objectives, just things right out in front of us that I, that I believe the Lord is wanting us to, to be paying attention to. And so, so be praying about that. In fact, it will launch an effort where we're going to ask for extended prayer from the church family as we, as we look at some very critical things that are, that are on the horizon, uh, as we're going to be thinking about our vision, as we're going to be thinking about a name, you know, right now we two congregations coming together, needing needing a, a new name. We want to pray about that. We want God to lead us and 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 how He wants us to be identified. And so, so all of this uh, gives reason for praying and seeking the Lord. But again, 
We know that in the context of those in Colossae, they were dealing with the Gnostics, the people who thought they knew it all, the people who thought they would claim that they had a superior knowledge. Now, do we have any know-it-alls in our day today? Do we have any people that claim to have a superior knowledge in our world today? Think they've got it all figured out? Well, Paul was worried about that group because he knew that these young believers could easily be influenced. And so he was praying Now, it's interesting. What would you say he was praying for there as you look at verse 9? He was praying that they would have what? Knowledge, right? The Gnostics claim they had knowledge. And it's interesting, if you look at this in the original language, uh, Gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S, is is, is where you get the word Gnostics, means knowledge. Well, when he prayed for them, he prayed that they would have epi. Gnosis, E-P-I is a preposition on the front. He wanted them to have full knowledge, greater knowledge, real knowledge that would, that would keep them strong even as they, as they were being attacked theologically, doctrinally from the, the Gnostics around them. So again, Paul didn't want them to be fooled. He was, he was writing this letter out of urgency and he was praying that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will. Knowledge is important. It's important that that we have the right knowledge, the biblical wisdom that God wants us to have. In fact, the Bible warns about about the lack of knowledge. Do you remember what he said in Hosea chapter four? He said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. It's important that we that we understand that, 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 that the word of God is to teach us. It's to inform us. It's to, it's to give us what we need so that we understand how to live. In fact, he uses the word filled. And that implies the fact that, that, that there was a need for, for, for there to be more given. It wasn't that they were totally empty, but were they totally full? No. They needed to grow. They needed to be filled. There's this idea of a continual filling. And that really is what the Christian life is all about. You come to a point where, where you place your faith in Christ, where you, you understand your need for a Savior. You see, no one is born as a Christian. You come to that point to make a decision that you're going to follow Christ that you're going to repent of sin, that you're going, to, that you're going to trust Him to be your Lord and Savior. And that's when it all begins spiritually. But do you have everything you need at that point? That's a, that's a hard question. Yes and no, right? You do because at that point, you are fully saved. God has taken you and He has called you one of His own. And when He looks down at you as a brand new believer, what does He see? He sees his son and he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Isn't that beautiful? That he would that he would take the righteousness of Christ and credit that to your account. So that immediately when you come to faith in him, you are saved as you are ever going to be at that moment. But you will continue to grow from that moment on. 
You'll grow in your knowledge of Him. You'll grow in your faith. You'll grow in obedience. You'll grow in all these things day by day. And so that's the idea of, of being filled. It's what some would call, uh, you've probably heard the, the, the doctrine of sanctification. It's, it's, it's being made more like Christ, growing in, in your faith, that, that there's a progressive nature to that. Even though on a positional side, at the very beginning, you are fully saved, fully redeemed. Why? Because it's based upon what Christ has done. His work. And His work was enough, wasn't it? His work was complete. And so that transaction happened and you were set apart as His own. But as you grow, as you walk in Him, there is an expectation that there would be a continual filling. In fact, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 20 says it this way, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. The idea of growing, of, 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 of gathering more and more, that, that, that our minds and the way that we think is so critical. Is it interesting that that's the first thing that Paul would pray for? To pray about how one would think, that they would have the right knowledge, including knowledge of his will, but beyond that, even using words like wisdom. That that's where it begins, because think about it. What if, what if they had all the enthusiasm, they had all the energy, but they didn't have the knowledge? What might happen then? So he's praying for the knowledge, praying that they would be filled. And so I would ask, is there a reason for us as we pray for one another to pray for God's knowledge, knowledge of his will and wisdom? That might be something as you pray for your church, as you pray for your pastor, as you pray for 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 those in that you are uh, that you are close to within the congregation. Maybe as you pray for your child or grandchild to not forget to pray for this type of knowledge. Knowledge is meant to lead to other things. It's not meant just to to have for the sake of, of having it right I read a story this week that I thought was, was, was pretty incredible. I want to introduce you to a man named uh, Michael Nicholson of Kalamazoo, Michigan. There's a picture of Michael. Um, he's in his uh, early 70s. And he has spent his entire life, for the most part, being a student. He has gone to college nonstop for about 50 years. Does that sound... Uh, <laughs> Sound like something any of you all would like to do? Uh, about 50 years. Here's what he's done. He's working on his 30th degree. He has a bachelor's degree, two associate's degrees, 22 master's degrees, three specialist degrees, and a doctorate. And currently working on his 30th degree. This one in criminal justice. The ultimate lifelong learner, one of his professors said, Yet with all these tassels, in fact, if you look in the back, what are all those? Those are his tassels. And he's holding the degrees in front of him, at least some of them. He said, I stayed in school. I took side jobs to pay for education and just made a point of getting more degrees. And eventually I retired so I could go full time to school. Yet with all those tassels, Nicholson has never been employed in any field of expertise in which he holds a degree. And that's something to go to all that work, all that study and never turn it into something else. 
That's not what our knowledge spiritually is to look like. You know that, don't you? That's not the way it's supposed to work with the knowledge that God gives us. God gives us knowledge for what reason? So that it can be turned into action. That it can be turned into obedience. That it can be turned into a, to a life of faithfulness. James said in chapter 1, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Again, verse 9. We see that, he, they're pray, that, that he's praying that they would be filled with knowledge, with spiritual wisdom, with understanding. And in the mindset of that day, when they heard knowledge, they were automatically thinking obedience. Remember last week when, uh, when Brian was preaching from Deuteronomy 6? Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. Remember that little section in Deuteronomy 6 called the, the Shema? The word here is, is a word uh, in, in the Hebrew language that would sometimes be translated obey. Sometimes you'll see that word translated here, sometimes obey. Because in that tradition and in that age, in that mindset, to hear was to obey. They would have no concept of someone saying that they'd heard something if they weren't actually going to do it. If they were going to hear it, it meant they were going to put it into action. And that's what, that's what uh, Deuteronomy 6 was expecting. So we see that knowledge is foundational because beliefs lead to behavior. What we believe leads to what we do. And that, that, that is true in every facet of life. And in fact, it's true in, in every, every religion. Those on 9-11 that, that were expressing the, the actions of terrorism in New York City and other places, they were, they were doing that based upon a belief that they held. So we don't want to ever get into the mindset where we say, oh, it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're sincere about it. Because beliefs matter. Beliefs should lead to action. And in fact, as we look at this prayer... What do we see? We see that the, that the knowledge that he prays for, this real knowledge, this full knowledge, makes a difference. Look at verses 10 and 11. This is the result of the knowledge. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to... To his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. This is all the, 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 the aftermath of the knowledge. This is the result of having that spiritual knowledge. These are the things that accompany it, that follow it. Now, as you look up on the screen, there's probably several things that you could, you could pull out and we could count. I, I think I found about five different areas that are impacted by spiritual knowledge. I want to go through them very quickly. And the first one is our daily walk. It says here to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing Him. And so in the Scriptures, in fact, many times in Paul's writings, he uses the word walk as a, as a picture of what? The walk represents our life, the life that we live. So each one of us has a walk. Each one of us has a life. And he's saying that through that knowledge, we can have a walk that's worthy of the Lord, a walk that pleases him, that's along the path 
that He's guiding us. And He says that it's a connection of knowledge to obedience. Think of it this way, knowing and doing. And in fact, we have to guard ourselves from, from each extreme. Because on one extreme, there can be an idea of, of, uh, of knowing a whole lot and doing absolutely nothing. Okay? Can that be one edge of the pendulum? What would the other end of the pendulum be? Doing a whole lot and knowing nothing. <laughs> right? Okay. Okay. We don't want to be on either side, do we? There's got to be a balance of, of knowledge and faithfulness somewhere. We want to know and do. We don't want to hit one extreme or the other. So this spiritual walk involves growing as a disciple. And one of the, one of the, the ways to define a disciple, a follower of Christ, is to be a learner, but also a doer. One who's following actively. You can't separate the two. It's like a cause and effect relationship. Now listen to me, the good works that we do, that we're called to, to, uh, to have in our lives, they don't produce salvation. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's not, we, don't, we aren't saved based upon those good works. But if we are saved, salvation will produce good works. It's the overflow. It's what happens. It's cause and effect. And so in following Christ and hearing and knowing and understanding who He is, it will work its way out in the way that we live. And in verse 10, it's a call to live in a way that is pleasing to Him. Isn't that what it's all about? Do you remember in the book of Acts when John and Peter were standing in front of the Sanhedrin? And uh, and they were told that they were no longer to speak about Christ anymore. Do you remember what they said to the Sanhedrin? Remember, they said, it doesn't matter that we please men. It matters that we please God. Therefore, we're going to go on doing what God's called us to do. That's how we're to live. We live with an eye towards pleasing the Lord. That's our walk. Secondly, quickly, our fruit. We see the, another picture here, bearing fruit in every good work. It's a picture of, of what is, 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 uh, is the overflow of one's life. It's a picture that we see in John 15, where Jesus is the vine, we are the branches. And it says that He produces this fruit in us and through us. A fruitful life. Bearing fruit in every good work is what it says in verse 10. Let's see how this connects to knowledge. Look over at Second Peter chapter 1. I want to share a few verses here. and Just see the, the connection, the overflow of what happens as we, uh, as we work through this. Look at verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And virtue with knowledge. And we see how there's this cascading effect. And knowledge with self-control. And self-control with steadfastness. And steadfastness with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love. For if, look at this, look at verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the what? What does it say? In the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because if we have a knowledge with, of Him, we have a relationship with Him, these are the things that are expected. 
This is the fruit of one's life. And look at those words. Wouldn't you love to see that ever increasing among us as a church family? What do you think God would like to see happen with those things? With, yes, the knowledge, but also the virtue, the brotherly affection. All of these things so that we can be effective and fruitful. Leads us to the next one there. We see our growth also being part of the overflow. The plan is to continually grow. It says they're increasing in the knowledge of God. I've already touched on this. We don't we don't have it all at the very beginning, right? But little by little, day by day, we grow. And maybe that that spiritual growth isn't like a straight line growth. You know, it's not not exact. It's probably more you you go up and and maybe there's some plateauing, some stagnation in time. But then we pull out of that by by his grace and we we see something else. We grow again. And, And oftentimes our spiritual growth, at least from my experience, is oftentimes connected with what? With life, would you say with hardship? How many would look in their life and, 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 and could recognize the season where you've grown the most and say it was connected to something that was difficult? Anybody? A number of you. And so that's how that growth works. And sometimes it's, it's based upon just the life that we're, that we're going through. Not only growth, but also strength. Verse 11, being strengthened with all power. The word there is actually dynamite, this, this strength, this power. And it's not ours because it says in verse 11, according to his glorious might. Now, would you rather live life by your strength or his? Would you rather tap into what he can provide or what, what you can do on your own? See, he is willing to give us the strength. And it's not like we come to him. As uh, as a, as a brand new believer, and it's like a rocket booster that just sends us off. It's not that. It's this continual supply, just as we need it over and over. He gives us what we need day by day, year by year, circumstance by circumstance, and that's what Paul's praying that they would have strength again. Why? Because the people in Colossae were under attack, right? There was a lot of false thinking going on. And he was praying that God would would give them knowledge and strengthen them even for that, which leads to the fifth one there about endurance, endurance and patience with joy. I read about a lady who, upon her 42nd birthday, decided that she wanted to do something she'd not ever done before. She wanted to run a race. And she knew she'd have to train and get in shape. And, and so she, uh, she uh, lived in Cleveland and heard that there was going to be a 10K race. Do you know how many miles 10K is? I think it's about like six miles, right? And so she started training and, and, uh, and, and working on it. And, and sure enough, got to the day of the race. She was so excited. And, and uh, she got there early and she heard the, the, uh, the, the horn go off. And so she jumped in with the rest of the racers. And she had looked at the, the map before and knew that, that about the halfway point, they would turn around and run back. And she was running and running. She said, I think we've gone at least four miles. And so she asked one of the fellow runners, she said, uh, when are we going to, when are we going to turn around? And he said, what are you talking about? You know, we're not turning around. This is the, the marathon's a big loop. And she said, what? Marathon? <laughs> 15 minutes before the 10K was a 26.2 mile Cleveland marathon. And when the bell went off, she went with the runners and uh, she ran the entire marathon. I actually finished it. If you can believe that. And at the end of the race, 
This is what she said when she was interviewed. Um, she said, this is not the race. Listen to me. I think this, this is really important. She said, this is not the race I trained for. This is not the race I entered. But for better or worse, this is the race that I am in. I thought, you know, isn't life like that? Not what we signed up for, not what we picked out, but we got it. May not feel like we're ready or trained or equipped, but with Him, with His strength, with His guidance, with His blessing, we can endure. Look at those words, endure and patience. They're closely related. Endurance literally means to enable one to hold position in battle. So he's giving this word, praying that they would have endurance in the faith of, in the face of the Gnostics who were trying to persuade them. That they could endure. Your version that you're reading might use the word steadfastness. And so I want to, I want to contrast these words, uh, particularly endurance or steadfastness with the word patience. Because they have a little different application. Endurance is a word speaking about difficult circumstances. Patience is a word about enduring difficult people. And in this case, for the Colossians, they needed both. They needed endurance because the circumstances weren't easy. They needed patience because, let's face it, people aren't easy either, right? Anybody here need endurance and patience? He was praying that that knowledge, remember, go all the way back to the top of the waterfall. He was praying, first of all, for knowledge and wisdom that would work its way all the way down to endurance and patience. Something very practical for the here and now. Not a puffed up knowledge that would just keep someone in a room. No, this was talking about knowledge that would eventually help them to stand against the circumstances that they were going through. To give them endurance. To give them patience. How do we apply it? Well, for us as a church family, to pray for this knowledge. To pray in this season of ministry that we could increase in our knowledge of the Lord and His will. That we could, that we could endure even, even difficult challenges of change. Even the change that we're going through. Even if it's positive change, it's nonetheless change. And there can be frustrations. There can be challenges with that. But the Lord would help us to endure that he would allow us to have patience with one another. As I said, in the first half of February, we're going to be emphasizing prayer even more. A special season of prayer. But as we wrap up, I don't want us to miss the end of this passage. Because his prayer involved two things. A petition, but also praise. And so let's listen to what he says at the end of the prayer. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Did you hear all that? Giving thanks. Oftentimes when we think about giving thanks in our prayers, we might think that that's kind of a secondary thing. That first, first we need to worry about, about what the need is, right? Interceding for God to supply. But there are also those times where we, we bring the thanksgiving. We bring the words of praise before Him. And we do so because it reminds us 
of who God is and what he has done. Do you remember when the Israelites crossed the Jordan, what they did? You remember what they physically did? They stacked up stones. And it was said that when your children ask what these mean, what are you going to be able to do? You're going to be able to testify what God has done. Stacking up those stones was a way of remembering. It's a way of giving thanks. And as he's thinking here and praying for them, he says, you've been qualified. Now, when you think about being qualified, qualifying for something, a lot of times you think about your own effort, right? Anybody heard of, 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 of the Boston Marathon? To be able to run in the Boston Marathon, you first have to qualify in another marathon. Get a certain time. So when we think about qualifying, sometimes we think about what we've done. But what does it say here in verse 12? That he has qualified you to share in what? His inheritance. And I think that inheritance is for now. But I think it's also for for what is still to come. He's delivered us. Look at these words. Delivered us from the domain of darkness. He's transferred us to the kingdom of his son. This idea of moving from one place to another. We were in this domain. We were born in this domain. We were under this, 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 this darkness. But what's happened? We've been moved to another kingdom. And this one, whose king is Jesus Christ, it is a kingdom of light. He's qualified it. He's given us this inheritance. He has transferred us. He has redeemed us. And how has he done it? By forgiving us. Of our sins. That's what's made it all possible. Think of it. We were once in bondage to sin. We were once held by the chains of darkness. But he has set us free. He has done the work. To move us out of darkness. And place us into his kingdom. To a new way of thinking. A new way of living. That's given us joy for this life. And hope. For the life that is still yet to come. Well, as we wrap up this morning, I think it'd be appropriate for us to take these words and to apply them, to pray that God would give us the knowledge of his will, that through that there would be growth and strength and endurance and patience, all so that we, you and I together, as a church family, individually, that we can walk in a way that's pleasing to him. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And as we look and just see how you have put it together to instruct us, we see that you've done so, that we can live in a new way, a way that, that, is, that is not like we used to live, and that we have an inheritance that we didn't earn or deserve. So we do want to stop and thank you. Thank you for redemption. Thank you for for, for bringing us into your kingdom. And God, we pray that as a church family, that we will see even more people coming to you, entering your kingdom and giving, being given the fruit of, of, uh, of a walk day by day with Jesus Christ. So God, we pray for this knowledge, this knowledge of your will. We pray for wisdom. May it be Manifest among us. May we remember our dependence upon you as the head of our church, leading us into this new season of ministry. 
God, may you strengthen us. May you sustain us. May you help us to endure. And as we think about this, Lord, it's not just about what we are going through together. But we also think about what some among us may be enduring on their own. Lord, may you minister to each one. Where there is a need, where there is a wound, where there is a concern. Lord, may you draw near to each one. May you minister in ways that only you can. And may we, as your people, look to you with thankful and grateful hearts for who you are and what you've done among us. Lord, as we take up and receive the tithes and offerings this morning, we pray your blessing upon them. We pray that you'll use them to further your kingdom in this community and around this world. As we continue our time of worship this morning, as we sing and as we hear testimony through song, God, may you continue to encourage our hearts. For we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.